You are listening to the Fire and Lunch podcast. As a reminder to those listeners wishing to remain unspoiled for the books, run. This is an all-spoiler podcast. All published books and novellas are fair game. Thanks. And who are you? The proud face said that I must eat this pie. This podcast is brought to you by Nymeria River Cruises. Failing to door in the long way around since before the doom. Hello, we are Fire and Lunch. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 24. We are going to discuss the first part of the world of ice and fire that covers ancient history and the conquest. I'm Megan. I'm Katie. And I'm Jess. So we decided that we are finally going to discuss the world of ice and fire and to separate the topics so that we could go and have deeper discussions about them rather than doing the book as a whole. And the first part we're going to cover is the first part of the book, about the first 50 or so pages, and that's on the ancient history and the conquest. And so we're just going to start by having people discuss why they decided to join this podcast, because as we said in the last one, we're doing smaller groups now. So it's now smaller groups, and it's all volunteers. So Katie, why do you want to join the podcast for ancient history and the conquest? Um, I'm just kind of a history nerd. I'm not as much of a history nerd as Jess is. But even in these fictional, like, realities, there's so much richness and so much history to this. And it really does inform kind of what we know about the books overall. It makes it a little deeper. So that's why I wanted to do it. Jess, any particular reason you wanted to join this one? It's kind of the same reason why I read A Song of Ice and Fire, just the magic elements of it. I feel like so much of the magic of Westeros can be found in the ancient world. You know, it's kind of disappeared, quote-unquote, from the world that the novels take place in. And so this world, you know, lets us talk about all the wonderful magic systems that George Martin created. And then also what Katie said, like the history um, of Westeros, and it kind of... informs the books too it, it gives it, it gives it more i guess coloring the actual novels i actually want to go back and read some of the chapters and some of the later books after reading these chapters in the world of ice and fire i had the same feeling while i was reading it i was like oh now i need to read the series to see if they said all this stuff <laughs> so let's move on so the first thing we're just going to discuss are just the new tidbits of information or just some really interesting stuff that we saw while in the sections that covered the ancient history. Um, We're not going to talk about everything, but just the stuff that really stood out to us. So, is there anything in particular you guys want to discuss about the Dawn Age or the First Men? I keep trying to parallel this with what I know about, like, European history. Because I I guess we're kind of approximating that Westeros is the British Isles. And then you have Essos, which is, you know, you're going into... France and Spain and like you know you can kind of see where things are starting to kind of link in but there's also like an Egyptian influence coming in and like it's just it's really interesting I keep trying to pick out as I'm reading that what regions of the world this is supposed to correlate to I, I actually had the same feeling when I was reading it we're going to just I put some of it in our in our document but I guess since we're talking about the dawn age um, the old gods definitely, like, reminded me. The mention of the green men, and I got, like, Celtic vibes. I don't know if you got that, Katie. Oh, yeah. Like, having, like, building, like, the faces into it. And, like, the green the green man represents spring, right? And the coming of spring. And we'll guess we'll talk about that in, like, our discussion, I guess, later on about, like, why I think the the first men brought the others to Westeros. Yeah, it's part of it. I mean, the thing is, it was also super smart for him to say, you know, the first men came over the land bridge into Westeros and kind of had that because now there's so much um, studies coming out that the Celts were not, I mean, obviously they didn't originate in 
the British Isles, they came over from Western Europe and kind of populated all of these and then came there like fairly late in their whole game. So to me, that was just like very cool how it links up to the history that's coming out now. Or it could be the land bridge that links Asia to North America. That's how I always interpret it. Obviously, all these things draw upon different parts of history. Um, but I guess about the the skin changing abilities, I just have a discussion about um, a point about how, you know, like the old gods and it's connected to the children, how they had skin changing abilities first, right? So where did the first men get those abilities it's not mentioned in it they you know we know because like we have like bran and we have john and Arya. they all have these like abilities but like it was the children that had it first or was there like interracial like intercourse between them i think so yeah like i, I absolutely i think so because it was just it's not mentioned in the in the thing that said the children had this first which i kind of assumed but like where did the first men get it because they obviously was it because he started to worship the old gods or was it like, I guess, the mingling of the of the races? I think it's just the mingling of the races. I think it's kind of, you know, you have people there and every, they're all people. It's just like different aspects of humanity within this land. So it's like, yeah, I think they would absolutely have kind of. Are the children the people? Well, they're humanoid. They're not, yeah, human. OK, yeah, human. They're not human. Like they, they have like male and female like yeah, and they do. They hunt. They have a they have a, a spoken language. They don't have a written language, but they have a spoken language. They have traditions. They have artifacts, right? And even they mentioned the giants having like funeral rites, which I talking about tidbits. I found that really fascinating. Yeah, the giants have their own like cultural identity. You know, they're not just kind of animalistic, but they're almost like human, like the giants. The thing is, uh, that's implied in the last book where you see John kind of getting to know one one more is that you're learning what giants really are like and and they're actually more of a peace-loving society like they're driven to this they're desperate that's the only reason why they're attacking the wall so you kind of get hints of that in the actual in the book series and I love how all these people you know you always associate the children and first men as like allies or the giants and like the wildling as allies but I found it interesting that like the children and the giants were like enemies in in the ancient in the ancient world you know how they weren't they weren't buddy buddy and it's like over time you know well it's the enemy of my enemy like i don't know if they were left to their own devices where if that would have ever occurred having them be allies i think it's just that they are so marginalized at this point they're just trying to survive like self-preservation yeah it's like you know what you got skills i got skills let's put our skills together so we actually get out of this thing so to talk about the children, so one question that Jess raised in our little planning document was whether or not they have power to control the elements. This kind of gets to something I was wondering about. So the book asks the question or basically puts forward the thought that it's possible the children caused the great flood that broke the land bridge. And so can they do something like this? Can they control the elements? Or is this just the first men being really paranoid? Right. We could say that it's magic that caused all this. And they talked about even like the neck, right? How... They, like, prevented people from crossing that and, like, even how they had their tree towns that move around. The brilliance of George R. R. Martin's writing. I mean, I'm not, I, I don't give compliments freely when it because I know that he's kind of, but actually I take that back. He's really great and the series is a testament to how good he is. And that's part of why he's so great is that you're reading this as if it's feasible. 
So there always is that question of, is this real or is this just superstition? Because that's how he presents the world. It's very close to ours that way. And I love how the maesters in the in the novel, in the world of Ice and Firebrook, were even like, well, they thought it was magic, but it was really because they were like this. They, it, these are men of learning. These are people who are going down the same trajectory that our own men of learning did, like in our, and um, women of learning kind of as they go along. So you kind of get that. You're like, all right, well, I'm kind of going the science route here. But you also have to remember this is a fantasy, like Jess was saying. So there could be some elements of it that are true. I think there has to be. And I think, like, the carving of the faces plays into that. Like, they respect, I guess, quote-unquote, the old gods or the nature gods, right? And so they're paying homage to them. And so as a, like, reward for that, like, I guess nature is giving back to the children, you know, kind of protecting them in some way. Um, I, like, ugh, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, too, is, like, when... You do have the doom. I mean, and then this is kind of going to come along is like, how much do we want to say that humans affect nature or like these people affect the nature of their world and how much of it is maybe the world kind of fighting back at them? That and could this, be it too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I believe that I could see there being some kind of an ancient magic within this world that would have contributed to the first, you know, to the land bridge being covered. Um, I don't know. I kind of buy it, but in a very like mysteriousy, like maybe I want to know, maybe I don't, kind of way. I want to know. I feel like I was surprised, like how much we didn't get. Like I'm like, I still don't know. I still don't have all the answers I was expecting, and it's really upsetting. It's like they gave us just enough, and you're like, why did I buy this? Like I spent. Why well, I didn't buy it? I got it for Christmas. But why like, did I buy it? Make me sad. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mystery quote. So speaking of not, yeah. So speaking of not getting enough information, let's move on to the Age of Heroes and the Long Night, which the Long Night section was way too short, and I would have liked more information. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's because like they didn't want to go too close to the Zora High thing, because then you would have to get into the fact that like he's been reborn, possibly in three different people. But okay, so here's so you know we have the Long Night section. It's is it ever? It's not clear that Azora High was ever actually in Westeros. No, I don't think he ever was. It's, I don't. Was there any? There wasn't any mention of Azora High in this in these chapters. Well, there's the Ashai tale. Like I, I every time I see a legend that has to do with like one warrior who fought off the Long Night, I assume that it's all different manifestations of the same legend or the same myth it's like every like like but i thought too yeah like everybody has their dragon mythology every in our like in in actual world everybody has their dragon mythology everyone has the same fairy tale it's just put through the lens of whatever culture you're happen to be studying at the moment so i kind of thought that this is what this was then that would mean that azora high and the last hero are basically the same person so the section on the long night mentions Azor High. it also mentions a roin hero that brought back the day and i was just wondering i can't remember has this person been discussed before or is this the first place that we've actually heard about this person no it's the first place i think uh, well which makes me um i guess wonder because you know they talked about how in valeria they had like the land of always summer right and maybe Daenerys because she's like Valyrian so maybe she's and you know is the Roin hero who oh, knows possible that would di- uh, that would disappoint me a little bit because I feel like the Roin like the Roinist people went through a lot of shit because of the Valyrians 
and they ultimately went to Dorne, and like their their culture was preserved within Dornish culture, which Danny doesn't really have any ties to. She's Valyrian, so to have her be the Rhenish hero would kind of piss me off. <laughs> okay, so so one my point I mentioned in the thing was so do you guys think the first men um, did they bring about the coming of the others because they didn't exist before the first men came around. It's only when the first men come to Westeros that the the idea of the others they they start to come from the lands of always winter and that we know that the first men actually went up there it's mentioned in the chapter that the first men settled in the land of always winter and i say here's my theory so we're talking about like the green man correct and like how those are like the nature gods right so the children right they worship them as almost like an homage to nature right but what were the first men doing to those trees they were like knocking them down and destroying them so maybe like because they were knocking down and the green man and the whole legend of that is what it brings about you know agriculture and like spring right that's kind of like what the legend's about so in like destroying all the trees that kind of brings about winter because the trees are kind of like the protector and they bring about spring so that's like my theory about it so i think like i don't know how it's related but i just feel like the first men something happened along the way maybe it was the cutting down of all the trees that brought about the others wow and if you look at it, like, they didn't exist before the first men came to Westeros. It's only after the first men come to Westeros, start knocking down all the trees that have these faces on them that the others come. Yeah, but we didn't have anybody recording any kind of history before the first men came to Westeros. So they could have been there. We, we wouldn't have known about it because it's not like the children had the same kind of recorded history that the first men did. That's true, too, but I just find it interesting that there's no mention of them in the legends prior to, like, the Long Night, which only occurred after the first men came to Westeros, and you have the story of the first men because they were scared of the trees looking at them, and the children, like, looking through the trees, they started tearing them down, and it's only, like, really after that, obviously, that the others come about, and going back to, like, the Green Man, like, legend, that that represents, like, spring, so perhaps, like, that's them knocking it, I mean, them knocking down the trees is almost, like, indirectly or directly the cause of the others coming i think it's related somehow i think there's some connection maybe the others are first men i don't know well no, i th i think that you're on to something i, I like the, i actually was thinking about the others being first men like it may have been um the first men that were perverted by whatever magics are going on up there like they basically went too far like the people in the doom of like the the valyrians in the doom of valyria they went too far and like fucked yeah. up shit happened the first men went too far, and so fucked up shit happened. And just because of the region of the world they were in, this is what Which it gets was. to the point made by one of the maesters in the book, is that some people allege that the Night Watch and the Starks made up the others um, just to make them look better. And they were saying it's possible that the others are just first men, basically. And they made it seem worse. Well, that was, a, yeah, that was on, like, page, I don't know, 12 or whatever. So... I like that. I mean, but the thing is, they are, like, horrible. Well, yeah. I mean, that comment makes me laugh because we know the others are real. What we don't know is their origin, of course. So there could be some... You could be right. Maybe they were originally first men. But we do know, at least, that the others were real. You know what it's really... That reminded me of? It was just... There's a... Um, in Glastonbury in England, the abbey there... I get, They were basically... They, they were really poor. They were falling apart. And they needed some good PR. And they found the, I don't know if they actually found two bodies or if 
you know, they just kind of said they found two bodies. And basically they said, oh, guess what? We found the bodies of Guinevere and Arthur. Like, he is, in fact, buried here. Everyone should come and have a pilgrimage to our place and maybe give some money. And I'm like, it, it just kind of cracks me up how this kind of PR really did happen. And then to kind of have this allusion to that, like, where the, North, the Night's Watch and the Starks are like, wow, guys, we really need some money up here. We need some help. We need some food. Maybe you want to come and help fight these monsters? <laughs> like, <laughs> there's definitely like a historical precedent in our own world for that kind of stuff to yeah. happen. Where did they get the obsidian daggers? Yeah. Because it's not mentioned. They just mentioned they use it, but they don't mention like where they exactly got it from. Last hero, I think, goes out there and meets with the children, and I think they get it through him, I think. I believe. Let me double check. It's right in like front the of me. Man? No, I know how the first man got I'm just saying, how did the children get it in oh, the first place? That's just, I think they made them. It's just something they made, which kind of goes to maybe the others were always there because it's what the children always had as their weapon, but maybe it wasn't as bad until the first, I don't know. We won't know. Well, it's just, there's no recorded history for the children that we know of. So we didn't have any, like, just, you know, we think that it never happened because we didn't talk to them. We were too busy cutting down their trees. I find it interesting that they, you know, we, they talk about, like, caverns and caves and stuff. And in our own history, right, the Paleolithic Age, right, people, you know, they didn't have a written language, but they did have cave paintings, right? So why is that never mentioned in any of these histories? Like, the idea of, like, using artifacts to understand history and understand, like, cultures, it's not, like, in this, like, this World of Ice and Fire book. It's only, like, written sources and, like oral traditions but you don't you don't look at they don't look at artifacts and they don't really look at you know cave paintings of any kind that may have existed to like understand history i don't think it's i think it's because one they don't care because they it's if you when you read it you're like yeah. they basically don't think of the children as being any good at any like or or the giants even but also on a different level george doesn't want to give away anything yet <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, practically, George doesn't want to give it away, but it's also, you know, we, are, the way that in our own history and, like, real world history, the way that we look at cultural artifacts is fairly recent. Like, that's a fairly new development within the last century or so. Before that, people were like, oh, that's pretty, and then they moved on. Like, they never really thought about it, and that's where all this mythology comes from, because they see this stuff. And instead of studying it, they're like, oh, the giants put that there. You know what I mean? Like, so it kind of makes sense to me that this very medieval society wouldn't be wasting a lot of time figuring that out because they have a, their own shit. Like they, they're basically trying to survive. So on the topic of the seasons, so it seems that the world book confirms that there were normal seasons at some point in Westeros because yeah, that was interesting. the comment says something about how there was no evidence that such was ever the case beyond the most, most ancient of tales. There's like a comment, like a throwaway comment like that on page 11 with the long night. And so that's interesting that if Westeros would have had, that if they did have normal seasons at one point and maybe what threw it off was the magic and the others. Yeah, maybe I was going to say maybe it was the others that threw it off. Did it mention, like, when this happened? Was it, like, after the long night that the seasons just, like, became crazy? No, it doesn't say. Wouldn't it be interesting if, like, the entire series ends with Azora High, like, taking care of everything, and then all of a sudden it's, like, fall? Or it's spring. spring. It's spring. <laughs> well, okay, so it's going to be spring, but it's, like, all of a sudden the seasons, like, snap back in be great and i think that would probably be the goal and that would help westeros 
develop the printing press and gunpowder. <laughs> like immediately, <laughs> printing press and gunpowder. Here we go. And other things. And the industrial revolution and just like yeah. middle class. The internet. Yeah, and then we'll have communism because of like the proletariat rebelling against the, the bourgeoisie. Well, at least we'd have a revolution and we. The small folk are going to rebel finally. There's going to be a Karl Marx at a flea bottom. Maybe that's Davos' real journey. 200 years <laughs> after this whole time period, there's going to be a book written that's going to be adapted into a musical about like the revolutions in Lise. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so. Can we move on? And Eddie Redmayne will star in it. I I'll, I'd, wa- I'd watch it, but I'd watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Can we still get some Hugh Jackman in there with some singing? Yes. And we will not cast uh, what Russell Crowe. We won't. We won't no, but we him. could have some Aaron Tevitt in there and just have him Oh, sing. Oh, please. Aaron Tevitt all over that joint. Yeah. All over the place. <laughs> so we keep talking about them. So let's just move on to Valyria and its children. So let's let's talk about the dragons and the Valyrians. I actually do believe that the the Valyrians do have the blood of the dragons because these people are so like greedy <laughs> for everything like a dragon would be. It's like at some point you're like, calm the fuck down. I know I'm disappointed because obviously like Valyria is supposed to be an allusion to like the Hellenistic Rome society. I mean it was the bloodthirstiness of Rome and how it was just like conquer, conquer, conquer. But then you have some of the Hellenistic stuff in it, and I'm just oh, yeah, like, definitely. God, fucking relax, you guys. Like, well, the Rome is also like they keep gaining, gaining more and more slaves, and obviously like the Romans use right. the Brits like in the mines, and then the Hellenistic is obviously them incorporating like all the different cultures that they conquered. Right, the Valerians didn't really have their own gods. They kind of just, I'll take some of that. I'll take some of that. Well, the thing I thought that was interesting was that the section basically confirms that. And what we probably could have assumed anyway, but that dragons didn't start with Valyria. They existed other places. It was just that they weren't trained, as far as we know, until the Valyrians did it. Yeah, whatever. I'm just so annoyed at the Valyrians. I'm like, you know what? Maybe the dragons chose to tame you, bitch. Well, that, Why yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why it gotta be about you? And maybe they shouldn't have trained dragons, because how much can you actually train a dragon? Outside of, you know, the film series, How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> Hiccup is doing a good, a good job of that. Hiccup's very good at it, but <laughs> I don't know how well they have been at The Targaryens were at it, or the Valyrians. Well, this is a perfect example of, like, our world where, like, you know, white people, like the Valyrians, they take credit for everything, <laughs> and, like, they're, like, the this epicenter of everything, but no bitches, like, this shit existed with the brown people and, like, Well, Sarah I mean, that's the thing, it's... And Westeros, even where the children it, it It is the history belongs to the conquerors. It's whoever won gets to be like, we are the center of the universe. And unfortunately, the Valyrians won for a very long time. Yeah. But let's talk about Bravos and how they were able to hide their city for such a long period. Was it just the fog? Like, how could no one find them? I think there was some weather magic going on in there. Maybe it was the children again, because the children also are good at, like, you know, hiding around, averting, you know, avoiding the enemies. But Bravos is pretty far north, though. Yeah, I love that whole, the idea of it, but I'm also surprised at how north it was when I first saw a map, because I thought I was comparing it to Venice. I think design-wise, it's very similar to Venice. Yeah. 
But I love it. I love the the whole idea of it. And I love it's kind of piratey. <laughs> you know? No, I love Bravo. It's like NAS it's a uh, NASA kinda where they everyone just kinda went there and they they build their own society. I consider Bravo's more of a northern city though, now that I'm thinking about it. It's so far north. We can consider it part of the north, right? Yeah, because I like it, so that, that's that's what I'm going with. <laughs> Let's just put it in the north. <laughs> it's northern, but it's way more like <laughs> I don't know. Is Westeros much more north? I'm trying to think of it. It just seems like it's just fucking cold all the time there. Well, the, the north is north. I know, but like Bravos <laughs> is not that north. Bravos has this like soupy kind of murky. It's partly the fog, but it's really got more of a southern feel to it in terms of the weather. Like it's not. That's what throws me off. It really reminds me of Venice where it's just like everything's gray. Yeah. I think it's supposed to remind you of Venice, at least yeah. that's my reading. Let's move on to talk about the Andals. Fucking Andals, I can't. I know, I kind of don't really like them, but <laughs> that's because I'm partial to the first men in the North. I, I, speaking of, like, he's going back to history, man, because I'm reading this, and, like, they mention how, like, Pugor Hill was promised this land by, like, their god, the seven gods, and I'm like, well, that sounds like Abraham and and the covenant with him and God, and then they're, like, kicked out. They're trying to avoid the Valyrians, so they have to, like, spread out to Westeros, and that's kind of like the Jewish diaspora, like, out of the Middle East to, like, North America, not North America, but to Western <laughs> Europe. Well, like, that's later on. We're later not getting, on. We're not no, but it is, and it's, on. you know, then the Valyrians, the conquering Valyrians come in, they're introduced to the faith. You know, you see how... It, it is. It's a parallel to, like, Rome and Constantinople, well, really, Constantinople in that part of the country. Well, I mean, well, hold on. So Constantinople was a Roman emperor, yeah, right? Constantine. Constantine was a so Roman Constantine emperor. Roman emperor. He, right, his mother was was Christian. She kind of, that was his excuse. She made him convert, but really he was seeing that Christianity was kind of growing within the empire, and rather than having the empire pull itself apart, he's like, alright, fuck it, this is going to be our religion, and that's where you had the Council of Nicaea and all that, that bullshit. So it's kind of like Valeria saw, okay, well this this seven gods thing is sticking around, so we might as well, like, adopt it, and that's kind of how it spread. Oh, I didn't even think of it like that. That's interesting. But also, the seven gods, like, the seven stars, and I'm like, well, the star of David. Not that it's only, like, related to Judaism, but, like, I definitely... I just saw parallels between between them. I thought I'd mention it, because I'm reading this, and I'm looking at it. Well, that reminds me of, you know, Jewish history right there. And I wonder if that, like, informed George when he was writing it. What do you think, Megan? Um, the thing that I thought was interesting was that the book confirmed that the clans in the Mountain of the Moon are first men. Like, they're descended from the first men. And so I just wondered if they're, they're and said that they have similarities with the free folk. So I guess, I guess that kind of confirms that the way the free folk act is basically what the first men had in their culture, too. Which, I don't know that we really had confirmation of that, but I guess it's kind of sort of its confirmation in a weird way. Yeah, I just kind of assumed that that I mean cuz there, there was no influence into their culture um above the wall because no one really wanted to go up there. It was kind of like very delineated. So that was just a very pure form of what the first men were like. And then the free like the mountain clans are just kind of like, "All right, well we're we're going to isolate ourselves anyway." So, you know. But there, but there is like lots of like different people in in like at least these chapters. Like the Dornish, you can even say that even like the Roynar to an extent, right? Like not bending the knee to people. The, even like the Bravosi, right? People just saying, "I'm not gonna 
follow you and I'm just going to do my own thing. And I, and I like that about like all these different um, cultures kind of having these, these parallel journeys for like, you know, most of it against like the Valerians. Well, the Bravosi, it's very specific wise. Like they were created out of, you know, the slaves that were escaping from Valerian reach. And so they're not going to kneel because they're like, fuck you. That's why I'm not your slave anymore. That's a very specific cultural thing. But with the first men, it's just kind of like, that's not how we live our, like, that's not our society's rules. You can do what you want, but that's not us. It wasn't really referring to the kneeling thing. It was referring to like the wife stealing. Oh, like yeah. Like that kind of <laughs> cultural similarities. Yeah. And so that's, <laughs> that's what but I was also referring more to. They're also like clans too. So those, so yeah. those people with Tyrion encounters are, so they're like, they're first men. Yeah, oh, yeah, they're first men. Uh, I, I mean, I always thought that too when I'm reading and I'm like, they reminded me of Wildlings. So that's kind of like... Folk jazz. I'm sorry. I was going to correct myself right before you even said it. I apologize to Tormund and Mance and all of them. <laughs> but yeah, the, the world book confirms that yes, they are descended from the free folk. Or first men. Well, it makes sense. The first men were there before the Andals were, you know? Yeah. And they kind of kick... It's, it's kind of sad. Like, everybody's kicking each other out of power. Like, all these races are, like, displacing other races in these books, you know? Well, the Andals are, like, the Saxons, really. So, with, moving on to the next group of people that are getting kicked out by the Valerians. <laughs> Let's talk about Nymeria and the Rhoyne. So, and the 10,000 ships. Um... Basically, first, I just have to say, there were multiple turtle wars. I No, I love that. I don't even give a shit. George is weird, whatever. I love the idea of it. I was going to, I love their culture. Like, I never, I never appreciated the Roiner until I read this. Like, I cannot give two shits about them. Even, like, they're mentioning Nymeria. I'm like, oh, she's cool. But, like, I freaking love this I culture. I did, too. I loved the water magic. I love just. Yeah, I just loved all of the stuff they were doing. Were they about. the culture with the uh, equality between uh, men and women? Yeah, they they brought that, the that to Dorne. Like, a lot of the defining characteristics of Dorne were really from the Roinar, like, from the Roinish people. Though, they didn't bring the water magic, right? I think the way that they said it, the people who really held those traditions are the orphans. The green, yeah. oh, yeah, and I love the, were they the orphans of the, the green blood. Yeah, and they're kind of like again, like they didn't want to like follow the Dornish tradition, so they kind of like, well, we still want to keep our our Roynish culture, so we're just gonna, you know, do our own thing. I mean, even even sadder, I think they were kind of like, we can't do this, you know. The Dorns did migrate onto land, and they're like, no, our whole country, our whole like culture is about the water, and we feel bereft. That's what I loved about it. They had a, they had a real familial relationship with this water, and they just couldn't go away from it without feeling like they were ripping a piece of themselves out what was the the magic water walls was that like something like there was like watery walls that i I thought were super cool that they like used them against their enemies can we also talk about how grayscale comes from (laughs) the roinar because was it the garen was his name yes right they held him in a gold cage and so they like called upon their water water gods to like sweep away the valerians and so like grayscale is like all those dead valerians which also confirms the kind of that like valerians aren't like immune to grayscale like oh right yeah right because they're the ones well you know because grayscale comes from like the roinish water gods right and that kind of killed the valerians so which i loved i'm like yes finally 
these Valerians get their asses kicked because they just need to calm the fuck down. I'm gonna keep saying that. Like, I don't understand. Like, they just, they're like, they're like dragons. Like, they really are the pros of dragons. Like, they're not gonna be content with just a little bit of gold. They have to have everything. Well, it's, I yes, Smog. It. It's the manifest destiny thing. It's like, we have a right to take you over. You know, like, this, this is our divine right. We are the conquering nation. We are better than everybody. And therefore, this land is ours. I was going to say, like, it has to be in their nature or something. I'm like, this is just, like, weird at some point. At some point, you got to say, you know, let's just, you know, settle down and see what happens. This is just humanity. Like, I hate to say it, but look at, okay, ancient Egypt, the mon- the monastic dynasties, they had everybody convinced that they were gods. You have, like, Rome, where they're like, oh, we fight better than everybody, therefore we should own everything. You know, even Greece, like, Alexander, everything before that, they were doing the same shit. Like, you look at all conquering nations in the history of our own world, and it's the same bullshit. Somebody somewhere says, we're better than everybody, and therefore we deserve this, and they just kind of go for it. Can we just give some mad props to Nymeria for getting her people to, like, somewhere safe? Like, bravo. I really enjoyed, like, reading her full story because I think we did get bits and pieces, but, like, as Jess said, we never really got the whole thing, and I think finally reading everything was very cool. Well, and she ended up marrying into, you know, the relationship with the Martells and then ended up ruling Dorne as a result of it. So, I mean, that's just awesome. So now let's talk about the Doom of Valyria and the fall of the Valyrians, and then I guess we can segue into the Conquest because they're kind of all connected. The Doom. Um, still not really sure what the hell happened there and why is it still such a cursed place. <laughs> Did they kind of, they had theories towards the end of it where they were like, they were doing a lot of magics to, it was kind of the Superman thing where they were trying to get at the, I guess the ore, like the magical stuff that was within Valyria. And part of the reason why they were doing it is because every family was trying to get the most power for themselves because they were all like warring against each other. So it was like, it was very, you know, Superman y. It was very um, Krypton like. And also very like, you know, the Legend of Atlantis where you kind of get the idea that people just use the land too much and the land rebelled back. But why is it still like uninhabitable? Is it? Yeah, every time people go there, they don't come back. But that doesn't mean anything. I mean, that's the thing. It's like they, they say they don't come back, but like people can disappear anywhere. Maybe it's like actually really, really freaking awesome. And then people are just like, <laughs> like I'm just going to stay here. It's like, I don't know. Maybe it's 2015. Maybe Valyria is like 2015. <laughs> and they're like, why would I want to go back to this bullshit? I have like running toilets. And the internet. <laughs> Toilet paper. I have toilet paper there. Printing <laughs> press. Gunpowder. A <laughs> <The> middle class. <laughs> Human rights. <laughs> like electricity. Maybe this, yeah, electricity. This is this is what it is. This is our theory that like it's actually not that people don't come back and it's like a terrible place. It's like it's so good that people just just want to <laughs> stay there and they're like, I'm not going back okay. to medieval times. Because, like, let's be real here. Why would Tywin Lannister's little brother ever want to go back to the fucking Lannisters? If I mean, he, yeah. Like, <laughs> what? What's he going to get? I'm a younger brother. I'm going to get nothing. Let me stay in Oh, no, area. I agree. I would never want to go back to that family, but... And I like the Lannisters, but they're assholes. Yeah. 
I don't like the Lannisters, but you know, we're not talking. <laughs> yeah. They were they were mentioned we're like twice in, the in this chapter. <laughs> well, they're mentioned quite a bit in the conquest. Yeah, yeah I brushed so over let's those talk about, things. Yeah. So let's talk about the conquest. Um, there's a the biggest section in this part of the book is actually about the conquest. So let's hear it, guys. All right, so the Targaryens amongst the Valerian families are looked at as the weak ones of the bunch. And I just found that interesting because the Targaryens, you know, in the stories have looked at this dominant force that, you know, (laughs) took over Westeros. But within their own culture, within the Valerian culture, they're actually a bunch of nobodies. So it's really funny that they were the ones who are like, "Um, I don't think this Valerian thing's going to work out. We're going to go to Westeros and... You know, they kind of avoided the entire doom. So I found that really interesting, like their motivation for fleeing. The thing, well, I mean, like in in the books, I I did get that like idea that someone kind of said the Targaryens were like nothing; they were bullshit to the Valyrians. But then reading this, it got a little bit deeper. It was like they purposely pulled themselves out of the infighting, which is how people became got their status in Valyria is is how much you can screw over somebody else. They pulled out of it because one of their, I think the daughter or something, started having these visions. And yeah, like, Danny, right. a Danny or the Dreamer. Right, and that was kind of like, oh, they're doing this on purpose. You are already seeing that they have a little bit more brains <laughs> and a little bit more, like, you know, conceptualized thinking than anybody else in this culture. They're like, okay, well, we need to prepare. And I like that. I was like, all right, Targaryens, I can roll with that. Do you think it was because they wanted to prepare, guys? Or do you think it's just because they felt they weren't going to win anything out of, like, all this infighting because they're a weaker family? So it's kind of like, well, I'll try to find my way, kind of like in the new world, kind of like, you know what I you know what I you mean like how like all those like fourth sons like came to the new world to Jamestown because they weren't going to, like, gain anything living in, like, Europe? Well, I think it's part of it, but I think they also were like, all right, we're going to pull ourselves out of this. Because there was, like, a distinction where it was, like, it wasn't necessarily that they were weak. It was that they decided to not play that game. They're like, there's something going on. I'm going to focus on that. And I'm going to set myself up in such a way that I will survive. But they looked like they were looked at as cowards amongst their people. Right, because they didn't know. Because they were basically like, you can think we're cowards if you want to. Meanwhile, you're all going to be dead. And we're going to own everything. We're going to be the only bastions of this entire culture, which means that people are going to come to us. Well, okay, so let's talk about Aegon. Um, One thing I thought that was interesting about him was that he didn't conquer Westeros right away. He actually seemed to wait a while to do it. And then the other thing is that the book makes the comment that it was rare for him to actually take multiple wives. So, you know, we like to people, the fandom likes to throw out the concept that the Targaryens were polygamous, but... I, from this, it seems that they weren't really, I mean, at least from the Aegon section, it's what well, they weren't really at that point. And I thought that was interesting. I love how the Westerosi people were like, we can roll with polygamy. We so cannot roll with the incest. And it was like one of the sticking points as to why people were rebelling against them. Because they were like, this is not our deal. Like they they kind of didn't really get the polygamy either, but it wasn't as much of like a thing. And it stuck with them, didn't it? Like no one ever really got used to that. That is true. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not part of their culture, the Andals culture, and also the Andals culture is. I don't know. I was. I don't. I don't really was tied to like like I guess the Christian religion or Jew, Jewish traditions, right? Yeah, I, I definitely. Like, 
I see like the faith of the seven as very much a Judeo Judeo Christian parallel because you do have so much, and especially with there being seven gods and with Christianity having like the three aspects of God, it's like that's kind of the connection there. So why all of a sudden did they just decide to like? Because they were on Dragonstone the Targaryens for like a good hundred years. Like Megan, you, you mentioned this before. Like what was it? They just you know they couldn't like hundred years is way too long. They haven't conquered something in a really long time as Valyrians. <laughs> I guess. I mean, yeah, it's kind of like, well, why? Why did they? And I think, it, <laughs> yeah, I think it's just that they saw that it was ripe for the taking and that they could do it. And so he just decided to finally go there. Because, but why do it? Like, there's, it's not like he was saving Westeros from like some threat. It was just, I think he just decided to do it. Well, I mean, he didn't have anything. You were on Dragonstone and that was about it. Yeah. Yeah, so they didn't have anything, so if they conquer Westeros, they can get much more and become kings. Wait, wait, didn't they mention in the the in the books that um they were actually, when they went to Dragonstone, they had their attention on the east before they turned their attention west? Yeah, I think they were trying to, yeah, they did. They, they were trying to conquer some of their, like I think by Volantis, like they were trying to get that back. And then when they realized that they were running out of funds trying to do this, they just regrouped and by the time they regrouped that's when Aegon was like I could probably do better going to Westeros than I can to Essos so let's just kind of refocus so here I was trying to think these people were like nice and they didn't want to conquer it's like no they're just they just wanted to turn their attention because they couldn't win the other way east of the yeah, well they're, they're they are Valyrian they're like you know what we have to th we're the last Valyrians we are going to re keep the empire going. Only this time, we're going to benefit. So you don't think it was the slight because he didn't want to marry that um, the bastard. He didn't. The guy didn't want to like who was it? I forgot the guy's name. Didn't want his daughter to marry like a bastard, like Baratheon. Oh no, that was the Stormlord. So that that was when they were in Westeros, and that was the um, he was trying to kind of get some inroads of slightly more peaceful way. I think. And um, he tr offered up Oris Baratheon, who was his bastard brother. Uh, this is Aegon. Well, okay, what that is that is true. But before, even before then, someone did offer their daughter, I believe, to Aegon, and he said no. And then eventually, it ended up with someone's hands, like Aegon's, like messenger's hands, being sent back to him. And then it was after then that apparently Aegon decided that he would conquer Westeros. Well, yeah, I think that it was kind of they were trying to. They were taunting him. They're like, we're, we are strong. We're not going to let you. We're scared of you, so we're going to be assholes to you because we want you to understand that you should be scared of us instead. And Aegon was like, that's not fucking Valyrian, dude. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. So, I mean, well, that could have been the thing that finally made him conquer. I mean, I doubt that was the sole reason. Oh, no. <laughs> like, I mean, he had, the, he yeah. had the table made. And who knows how many years, like, how many generations old this table was, but he did have the table made. Yeah, so I think that that was just something that pissed him off enough to be like, okay, we're going to do it now well, instead of waiting. I think it's just a good story that people attach to him. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, oh, here's something that happened, and we're just going to pretend like this was the last straw. And meanwhile, it may have just been like, oh, this happened. I was going to do this anyway. So speaking of Oris Baratheon, so that the Targs and the Baratheons, they go way back. They're like best buds. They're, they're family. Well, the, the that was Baratheon, a legend. Well, no, I think he was. I mean, they, there, there's a lot that 
Aegon did for Oris Baratheon that I could see being done for your brother and not necessarily for your buddy. Yeah, I mean, your buddy, especially in these societies, can always double, like, cross you. That is very true. I was just thinking, like, how Rhaegar and, and, and Robert should have read this story. Maybe things would have been different. <laughs> I feel like Rhaegar... Yeah. Rhaegar would have known this story, because <laughs> he loved to read. <laughs> and Robert's like, who's Oris Baratheon? Yeah, but... Like, Robert would be like, what, a book? I don't know. I don't do that. But <laughs> Rhaegar probably knew it. The whole Baratheon household from this dude, from Oris Baratheon, they all look the fucking same. <laughs> like, they are all, like, black-haired, blue-eyed. That is it. Boom. Done. And out pops Joffrey Baratheon. And there, there isn't like a mace or somewhere going. Wait, hold on. A no, second. it took Ned Stark. Well, that, okay. To be fair, John Aaron, I guess, also figured it out with Stannis. But <laughs> yeah, no one else figured it out. So, speaking of the conquest, um, Jess raised this, but this is also something that I thought was also really interesting. So, the Torin, you know, our king, of, you know, up in the north, he crossed the neck. The Aegon never actually went to the north to conquer the Starks. Yeah, that was, I found that really interesting. You know, I'm like, why did he do it? Like, what was his motivation? Because Aegon wasn't, like, Aegon had obviously conquered by this point, like, High Garden and all those other places. He didn't conquer, like, Old Town, but he had conquered, like, most of, like, you know, Southern Westeros, but he never was making it north. It was just very weird. Like, why would you cross the neck? Especially since what we know about Westerosi history is, like, nobody crosses the neck. It does not happen. Right, but I don't. Oh, nobody's done it. Like unless, like I'm missing something, right? But that's kind of like the thing in the story is like you know the neck because of like the marshes and because like Grey Water March marshes just like moves around a lot. Like nobody can like conquer it. Nobody can cross the neck. So like, why did Torin move his troops south? Like with thirty thousand people, I don't understand it. Why not fight the Targaryens on your territory? Yeah. A because you know you know it. You guys kind of like. You know, like, you know, Germans going into, like, Russia, right? Everybody's trying to, like, you know, Napoleon going into Russia, right? You know, winters, like, kill armies. They may kill dragons, too. We don't know. Like, the dragons have only existed from what we know from the stories, like, in, like, warm climates. Like, who knows what... Except for... Well, no, except for the winter dragon. Which winter dragon? The dragon that's supposed to be under Winterfell. Yeah. That's not a confirmed thing. Yeah, so, like, we don't know how dragons would, like, can they create fire, like, in the cold weather? Like, is that a thing that can happen? Like, so I, I don't understand Torrin's motivation for crossing the neck with his troops and then, like, surrendering. Yeah. Like, I don't get it. I thought it was kind of like a... You know what, though? How much food is imported from lower Westeros? Because if they're about to go into a winter... I always got the feeling that the North basically relies on itself. That they don't really rely on it i've seen fans theorize that it's possible that he knew that they could fight them off but he didn't want to even do that and that some people wondered if this if people could skin change into the dragon and that he knew that this could happen but that he just didn't want to open that can of worms so you maybe think you know how they mentioned like that the snow and and the maesters right how they went and they were trying to treat with like um 
with Aegon, maybe that was them trying to or attempting to see if they could like oh maybe change into a dragon, and maybe they realized they couldn't, and so they wanted to like I I still I maybe that's it, but I just don't understand like their motivation for crossing the neck. It's like a, a plot hole, like really, like it doesn't make it doesn't as doesn't no, it's not a logical move on the North's part. Like wait for him to come you because they have to con- take all their troops and march north, you know. And who knows if they'd survive in the winter time. You know, with because they're not used to the elements, they're not used to the winter. Who knows if dragons can even operate in winter time? Who knows if like they'll have enough supplies to support their troops? You know the land, the winter. Like this is your territory, the north. I I don't get it. Like I don't understand Torrance that motivation, and that was kind of like surprising because I always thought, I think all of us can agree, like like Aegon like went into the north, and that's why Torrance bent the knee. I don't think I ever thought he went into the north. I think he probably, I guess I always assumed it would have been at Moat Kaelin. Like maybe the reason why Torrin marched south was maybe there was like a marriage with somebody in the south, like the Riverlands, like maybe. Like I don't know who he was married to. They were like married to like a northern house at the time. But maybe there was like an alliance with somebody in the south and maybe that's why, like to like help their ally out. That's the only reason I could see him crossing. But wasn't it at, this was after the Field of Fire. yeah. Yeah, he may have been like, oh, fuck this. Like, I'm not going to have all my my men bake. Well, I mean, if you think about it, he would have heard about, heard about all these stories about other battles while he was already marching south because the north is so large that it would have taken him so long to get down there. So it's just possible that he with, had the intent to go to battle with him, march south, but as he got closer, he kept hearing all these stories and then was like, oh, this is a terrible idea. We're not going to try. We're going to try to, like, broker a peace either way i'm glad that he did broker the peace and he didn't actually get defeated by Aegon. yeah I, I think that that's a pretty sound like idea megan i'm i think that that's probably what happened and you're right i'm glad that he bent the knee because at least they were able to establish and keep their identity you know as yeah. their cultural identity as northmen because they were you know they knelt and that was a good that that's very roman as well where aegon was like you can do what you want to do and i'll even make you in charge of this region you're just going to be like under me and that's basically what the roman said is like look you just pay homage to us and you can do your own cultural thing and that's fine but you're ours i do love how they mentioned like no north north men's bones were charred you know so like yeah they so maybe that's what it is. Maybe they knew they can gain more out of it if they march south and like broker a peace, like you said, Megan, and then they can become what wardens of the north. Because even said like Aegon was, he pardoned his enemy. He's like Julius Caesar, right? Like Caesar, like as long as like you pardon people, if you bend the knee, whatever, you will like. I'm not gonna like punish you in any way. Yeah, that that was a very Roman ideal. It's like you can you can worship who you want to worship. You can, like, have your own cultural, like, whatever you want to do, as long as you know that you pay me taxes, we're fine. Yeah, I feel like if you, like, you're an enemy of me, but if you go against me, then, like, you're there's going to be serious consequences. But kind of like what Highgarden did and the Tyrells, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, well, if you, like, pay homage, you said to me, then I'll do you a solid, I won't, like, hurt you. Aegon seems like a pretty, like, he's, he's crazy, you know, he's a conqueror, but he's also a fair conqueror, if that makes any sense. You know, he is, he's reasonable. He's like, okay, I'm taking this, but I don't want to kill you, but I'm taking yeah, it. Yeah, he's not a mad, he's not a madman. He's like, okay, I recognize, like, yeah, if you, like, bend the knee, I'll let you, like, live. I won't bother your people, you know? So in that way, he's, he's a, I guess a benevolent, I don't want to say benevolent yeah. conqueror, because that's, like, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, he's, like, you know, <laughs> he could be a yeah. lot well, worse. And I think it's important to note that because none of 
that the southern army or an Aegon entered the north, the north basically has retained its entire culture until we get into the books. Like, there's, they retain their religion, they retain their culture, they're very different. And had the battle actually gone on to the north, I'm not sure that would have actually happened. And so it's possible that Torrin just wanted to make sure that the north would retain its autonomy and its culture. Right, I mean, the, but it backfired because I don't think, had the north been conquered at that point, then by the time we get to um, the reign of the Baratheon kings, I don't know that they would have ever been able to have rebelled the way that they did because they still felt in and of themselves their own culture. And also maybe he's doing it because he doesn't want, like, what he's, he's seeing what happened on the Field of Fire. Maybe he doesn't want the North completely destroyed. Yeah, You, know, you have to, too. like, rebuild everything. Like, how are you going to rebuild, uh, like, a whole, like, whole, like, territory? So maybe that was another motivation. It was Scotland. I mean, basically, like, the North of Scotland, and then you come here with, like, the, rebel- the uh, Stark Rebellions, it's basically the Jacobite rebellions, and they're like, "All right, well, fuck off. You're not my king. I'm doing what I want." Yeah, so that's actually a nice segue into how we can talk about how this discussion you just had relates to Song of Ice and Fire. So about Aegon, I actually thought that was really interesting—the discussion about his personality. And I, of course, me being me, I was like, "Oh, that kind of seems a lot like John, <laughs> and even Rhaegar to a certain extent." Very much, Rhaegar and Daenerys are definitely. Genet- you can see the genetic link between them and the, the this like three this I can't even call them a couple this like power trio of Visenya and Rhaenys and the um, triumvirate the triumvirate yeah <laughs> I actually I, I bummed out because they kind of make Visenya sound like kind of a pill but I actually really like her I think she's cool I, I thought it I thought they made her seem fine actually I didn't well because she's she's kind of like bitchy and like Rhaegar didn't really want to marry her he kind of had to marry her Aegon you mean what'd you say what I say what I say you said Rhaegar did I really yeah <laughs> Aegon wanted to marry Rhaenys not her yeah just because of personality I think that's more like lust you know yeah saying, you know probably because Rhaenys she's younger she's more attractive I think it was a lot of it. it was just like you know that kind of thing yeah I just thought it was interesting that it said that he didn't really bother with the day-to-day politics that he left that up to his sisters and I was like oh yeah I was like that's nice <laughs> so any other connections people want to talk about I of course kept laughing throughout the first part of this where they kept trying to imply that the giants and the children are all dead which of course we know they're not so <laughs> I was just like haha see what you know <laughs> Um, can we talk a little about the artwork and how they're still trying to sell to us that everybody dresses exactly the same <laughs> and everyone dresses exactly the way the costume department in Game of Thrones has outlined that? I mean, it, it's just so funny how, how much the show has now influenced the entire I series. mean, I think it's, it's probably just out of ease, too, of, of, like with everyone dressing the same because I don't know that the artists can... That, I mean, they'd have to be told by George, I guess, how fashion would have changed. Uh, see, I, I, I put it in the show notes. Everybody's very white and... Yeah, well, that, too. Yeah. Though I do really like the art of the wall being built that's right at the beginning of the book. I like how um, the Martell, was it Maria Martell, like, just slouching and on her, on her, like, I'm not bending the knee, bitch. Yeah, she's fantastic. She's like, ha, that's cute. No, honey. What? Oh, my God. Yeah, 
Which reminds me, yeah, we had to give a shout out and a clap to her. Like, do, hell we, yeah. Do you not know our house words? Let me let me repeat them for you. And she's just like, she's like, like, I'm like so comfortable on my throne right now. Like just slouching, just like not a care in the fucking world. Like, who the fuck are you? No, go away. We're not. No, I, I gotta say, like, I did love Rainus's outfit right there. I was like, damn, your hair looks great. Yeah, so her braids are always, like, on point. <laughs> yeah, basically, with her ludicrous silver <laughs> hair or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, and also back to connections, I loved the shout-out to the Jade Compendium. And yeah, that was a Mr. Eamon shout-out right Yeah, there. and so I was like, was is that what he wanted John to read? Was it about the Yeeti? Like... I now I'm like, what did Eamon want John to read? <laughs> I don't know. I was like, yeah, I noticed that too. I'm like, did Jay? I'm like, that sounds familiar. We'll know in 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 the the winds of winter whenever that comes out. <laughs> okay, I don't know that John's gonna have access to a book. <laughs> the winds of winter. <laughs> um, parallels between Danny and the Valyrians. I wrote that in the show notes about like the the. the we didn't really mention the Gascari Empire before the Valyrians were around. The Gascari Empire was around first, and how the Valyrians came and conquered it. But it's so interesting that the Gascari, like the main three cities, were like they mentioned were like Astapor, Yunkai, and what's the last one she conquered? We've been in Marine for like forty years now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, wait, Jess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like, how could you forget Marine? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wonder how much Danny really studied this, and if that was kind of in the back of her head, or if she was just kind of winging it. But I also feel like Danny's kind of playing at all of this. I can't. She she's very impressive. Yeah, she's done a hell of a lot, and I think that right now she's a major power player. But I almost feel like she's playing at it because she's so young and she really has no idea what she's doing maybe maybe but it's just maybe she she did read about her i just or maybe like it's kind of like like so maybe she's like a targaryen thing or valyrian thing like just conquering like empires is what they do but it's so it's like that's sociopathic i mean you're just no, like, that, that's a like, valyrian thing like they're all I know. every single valyrian in the history of ever we've established like conquer people so i think it's like inherent like blood of the dragon like they need gold they need it. They they just can't. They're, they're addicts. They need. They need. They need. <laughs> Who wants it? I mean, like honestly, why would you want to be in charge of all these people? It's like fucking ridiculous. You you have no skill set. Please explain to me what skill set means that you should like rule a country. I didn't vote for you. Well, no, but they don't. But isn't this what Danny kind of gets to? It's that she's a conqueror, but she's not a ruler. That's what the Valyrians are. They just conquer places. They, they don't rule. They they can't stay somewhere for too long. They're like, they're getting the itch. They gotta go conquer again. Like that's their thing. So I think it's like it's like it's like a gene. It's like a conquering gene that they have. Like it's inherent to them. Like they can't. They, that's their thing. That's their magic. Is they're just conquerors. True. And like <laughs> that's Aegon, their magic. He, he did right. He did the conquering, and his sisters did the ruling. And she, she may be the conqueror, and then she needs the two other heads of the dragon to rule what she's conquered. Oh, maybe. I didn't think of it that way. No, like how the book's basically saying Aegon was the conqueror, but he wasn't the actual day-to-day ruler, really, because he didn't really like that. Though, he doesn't really like fighting or killing, either, so that's just, you know, it's not that he's like a... No, but he, he's got the, the mind for strategy. He's got the mind to 
take something. He knows how to do that. And, and she knows how to do that. Like when she is pulling that shit on all of the free company, like, you know, just saying I'm, I'm just a young girl and I know nothing of war. That is her and her element. Like she knows she's pulling some shit and she's loving it. Um, but when it comes to actually like taking care of things, she is bored. Well, and then I hope her, one of her heads is not John. Cause he also does not really like the day-to-day politics so that wouldn't really go well either you know though he's better at he's an action dude not in the way she is where she needs to go out and like destroy shit he's an action dude like look this is what we need to do this is what they're gonna do to get it like i need you all to understand that i'm trying to like help everyone and he he does try to take care of everybody he's a soldier he's a soldier he's a soldier who does have a slight problem with authority he's not <laughs> a good soldier <laughs> But a good leader, a good leader, maybe a good general. No, we know. Let's move on to Bran. I think we can close with Bran, maybe, well, if people are good with yeah. that. Oh, God, Katie, just stop with your lack of enthusiasm for the last hero. Okay. No, I just, I don't, please, you know what? It's not a lack of enthusiasm. I really want you to explain it because I never actually saw that ever. Really? Yeah. All right, Megan, Megan, you can, <laughs> you want to take it or do you want me to? Okay, I'll I'll do it because I've actually seen this theory a lot and I have been a fan of this for a really long time. But you know the story of the last hero, basically, you know, a guy goes with his friends, you know, beyond the wall into the land of always winter, to the heart of winter, I guess, even, and then like meets up with the children and like does all these things to kind of defeat the others and all his friends die one by one while he's doing this mission. This is basically Bran. <laughs> it is Bran, but like I've never where have I never heard this? It's discussed in the book. Yeah, so so how it goes is the last hero had it and he interceded. He had like he interceded with the children of the forest, like they had discussions, right? That's something Brand does. With yeah, me, right. Um, cause I wrote some of them down. Cause I'm looking at them, like I had to jot these down. But he's a companions abandon him one by one, which is probably gonna happen in the next book, and they're all gonna die like Jojen and Pace, right? And then alone he reached the children, and then after this is the battle for the dawn, and he faced the others. Yeah. So he helped the night wa- the Night's Watch figure out how to defeat the others okay. in the battle for the dawn. Now I don't know then if he's necessarily the same as Azor Ahai, because Azor Ahai is a soldier. Yeah, but if it's all the same person but a different version of that story. Yeah, he's yeah he's using his he's gonna be using his skin changing abilities. I mean, like it can also be like maybe it's just a Stark thing. Maybe it's like the Starks are the entity, and all the different Starks like make up it. Like maybe it's the family. Like who knows? Well, no, because then you have the Targaryens who also know Zorahai. All the Targaryens know is conquering. They they can conquer the lands of Always Winter. That's how you. That is how. That is how the books are gonna end. They're gonna conquer the lands of Always Winter. <laughs> Because that's all they know how to do. You know, it's a shy, the Azor Ahai is in a shy prophecy. It is. But the prince that was promised is not, necessarily. You keep mentioning in the podcast, right, all the stories. Like, you talked about the dragon, like, myth, right? Every single, even, like, the green man myth, myth. Like, these are not just, like, exclusive to, like, Western places. Like, it's the same story in, in different parts of the world, they just like, maybe use different names or like maybe a few like details are different, but it's still like generally the same like fairy tale or story. So maybe it's the same thing, like like we're saying. Yeah, no, that that things, is different names. Uh, you know what it is? I I agree with it. I like said it before. Like I do think that all of these stories really refer to like one set of circumstances that kind of happen, and then we're all getting it through different cultural lenses. 
but I, and it does sound like Bran. I just don't know that Bran is necessarily the end game character here. Well, according to that manuscript, he was. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Yes, he was, wasn't he? And he was one of the original, like, people who were going to survive. He was one of them, but it was clearly, like, he, okay, so George basically confirmed with that, that John is a Targ. Like, he is. He's a Targaryen. He, so I still think that John is, like, the Song of Ice and Fire. But also the Targaryens had nothing to do with the original, like, Battle of the Dawn anyway, that they weren't even in existence in Westeros. No, like, but I mean, just look at John's like so-called death, wherein he spoilers everybody, where he is born amid salt and smoke, like the the tears on his the the blood from his wounds are steaming. He's tasting salt from his tears, like there's a salt and smoke, you know, like that he he's Azor high, like there you go, right there. Yeah, he's but the I so to be clear, Bran being the last hero doesn't preclude there being other people that will fulfill a similar role. Exactly. Yeah, because he's the one who gives them the magic. So maybe like Bran is the one that gives John. You said gives because Bran gave the Night's Watch. Here's oh Bran, sorry, <laughs> the last hero gives the Night's Watch basically all these tools to use to defeat the others. John is the Night's Watch basically, right? So that's kind of like I guess. That's what we're getting at, right? That the last hero is going to basically give the Night's Watch the tools to to defeat the others. And, and John is... Yeah, I think Night's there's Watch. going to be multiple people fulfilling these roles that George has put out as, like, these prophecies and, like, these heroes. And I don't know that George is actually ever going to confirm if one person is the one or if it's just always going to be up to reader interpretation. I could see him doing that just because that's a George thing to do. But I agree with, um, I don't even know if I've ever read Joanna Lannister's, like, kind of meta about Bran and what his role will be. But I agree that he's going to be, like, the eyes and ears and, like, kind of a general of sorts that's going to basically be telling people how they should beat the other. We do have a situation where, like, Bran is trying to communicate. That's Bran, right? When he says Jon Snow, the Raven says Jon Snow, and Jon's like, that's queer, he's never said my name before. You know what I mean? So I think, like, even that is you know like giving them the you know tools to use to help them like defeat the others you know it's not just one person that's going to do it it's kind of taking all these different people coming together using all their resources like you know Tyrion using who knows like his knowledge of history like to to you know help defeat the others Danny with her dragons Bran with like the the children of the forest and the old gods magic you know John being a great military tactician like all coming together to like maybe for a larger purpose. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what her meta was getting at too. It's a bunch of different people, but Bran will be like communicating with them via his like, you know, ravens and multiple ways. Well, yeah. Remember even in the first book, I looked into the heart of winter, right? That's Bran. Like he basically went to, and then we're going to the land of always winter in the winds of winter. If we ever get that book, like, I don't know if that's going to be Bran or John, but one, somebody's going there. So hopefully a lot of these questions that we had that weren't answered, in reading these chapters may be answered in the next book. I think that's why they're not here. I think George is, is purposely leaving stuff out. All right, guys, we're going to toast to Johnson or Bran Stark here. <laughs> yeah, um, I think we should toast both of them. We can do Bran first and then do John. A little, a little dabble of Jojen on your, on your, your drink, on your. Oh, right <laughs> to Bran Stark and to Jon Snow. To Bran Stark. To Jon Snow. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye, everybody. And so he broke that sacred oath.
Is maybe is the mic too close to your head? The mic's on my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right, Megan's hosting. Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have to calm down. Then. <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! What the fuck is that? <laughs> 